You are now listening to the Nerd by Word podcast. In this week's episode, we give our weekly nerd commendations, we talk Star Wars, we talk Console Wars, and in our first ever interview, we sit down with Robert Pilk of Mountain Empire Comics for a look behind the counter. The Nerd by Word starts now. And welcome back to the Nerd by Word podcast, the only podcast where we guarantee that we'll actually stay six feet away from you at all times. I'm here with my co-host, Chris, and we're going to go ahead and hit the nerdy news hard. Chris, what do you got for us? Star Wars Squadron trailer was released uh, this past week uh, on June the 15th. Um, I read a great article by uh, Kyam Gartenberg on TheVerge.com. Uh, gameplay is going to be revealed uh, revealed tomorrow, June 18th, at the EA Play Live event. So as of this recording on the 17th, we haven't seen anything like that. Um, it features many of the popular types of ships um, that Star Wars fans love. Uh, the X-Wing, Y-Wing, U-Wing, TIE Fighter, TIE Interceptor, TIE Bomber, and the TIE Reapers. Um, it's a first-person space uh, uh, battle, or like dogfights, uh, very a la Rogue Squadron. X-Wing and TIE Fighter that were very popular in the late 90s on PC. Um, while multiplayer seems to be the primary focus, there is a story mode campaign that is centered around the events following the Battle of Endor, which was also visited in Battlefront 2. Um, they seem to have learned their lesson from the loot crate debacle uh, from Battlefront 2. Um, which I I gladly came late to the party on and missed all of that. I got a used copy for like $17 about a year after release, so I didn't have to worry about that. They had fixed it by then. Um, And EA's statement is, everything, quote, will be earned through gameplay, end quote. Um, Now, my fellow Star Wars Rebels fans are going to appreciate uh, a quick blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo in the trailer from the lovely Twi'lek Captain Hera Syndulla. Um, and one interesting bit is Star Wars, and this is a quote from the article, again, you can find this article at TheVerge.com by Kyam Gartenberg, quote, Star Wars Squadrons is set to be released on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC on October 2nd for $39.99. EA has yet to announce whether it'll be offering a next-gen version of Squadrons for the upcoming PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, which also come this fall, end quote. So eh, it's a little bit, uh, you know, kind of a weird release date there. October the 2nd, also, you know, right around the same time that these two new consoles are set to release or very close to. So for a lower price point is my initial take. Um, You know, a lot of the factors that a lot of previous popular Star Wars games, that first person shooter, you think that you're in the in the cockpit there along with it. So um, it's just and I and I appreciate, you know, the the. The Rebels cameo from Captain Sindula and all those, you know, fan those little fan service bits. But the timing of this is just weird to me. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm a little concerned about this uh, on, on a couple of different levels. So first of all, uh, this is absolutely up my alley. Absolutely my kind of game. 
I played so much Rogue Squadron on the N64 that my eyes probably started uh, looking like X-Wings at one point. <laughs> absolutely fantastic game and I really really enjoy that sort of Star Wars dogfight anytime you can put me in an X-Wing cockpit and, and sort of reenact some of the battles in Star Wars I'm totally there so this game is actually uh, developed by Motive Studios which are the same people who did the single player campaign portion of Battlefront 2 which was okay I guess is the best way to put it it didn't exactly set the world on fire and my concern with it releasing at a lower price point, that is usually the price point reserved for uh, smaller games, games that are not exactly AAA, which makes me feel like although this is going to have a campaign, it is not going to be a, a substantial campaign. This is most likely going to be primarily 5v5 multiplayer. And as we discussed previously in our last episode, online multiplayer is by far my least favorite way of experiencing video games. So in light of the fact that this is coming out so late in the console life cycle and that we don't know if it's going to be on next-gen consoles and the lower price point, which indicates there isn't a big campaign, right now, unless they really wow me with a gameplay trailer, this is going to be a hard pass for me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um... I echoed your sentiments last episode, and I still feel that way. Um, I'm a campaign kind of guy, unless you can give me an online uh, sandbox where I can basically create my own campaign like I do on Red Dead. Um, I'm going to have to agree with you there. Un unless we see something substantial coming out tomorrow with that gameplay, uh, it better be a real wowzer. Uh, and I agree with the, the campaign uh, wholeheartedly on Battlefront 2. It was okay. Uh, I feel like they tried a little bit too hard to stretch it from the original trilogy into the sequel trilogy um, with their character work there. But um, while we're on the topic of new console release, Dave, you got something for us this week as well. Yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about the big PlayStation 5 reveal, which uh, happened on Thursday, June 11th. Sony finally revealed the PlayStation 5 in an online event gave us a good look at the console, which uh, a lot of gamers have been itching for, as well as several games. Uh, overall, the event was extremely positively received online. Several outlets have been very positive about it. I will say that the console looks incredibly odd. Uh, if you've not seen it, I highly recommend taking a look online. It, it kind of looks like a two-tone white and black mid-90s modem somehow. It's just, it's a very odd look for a console. It's definitely going to stick out like a sore thumb in your entertainment center. There will be apparently two editions, one digital only that doesn't use discs, and another one that can play disc-based games as well. I'm assuming there will be a price difference between the two, although we don't know that for sure, because once again, uh, Sony appears to be playing chicken with Microsoft and has not announced a price. Neither next-gen console has announced a price or exact release date. In all, the show revealed about 20-odd uh, games, although most of them that they showed are not exclusives. Uh, stuff like um, the new Resident Evil, Resident Evil 8, uh, those sorts of games. There isn't a whole lot announced for 2020 itself, which I find interesting. Uh, the only things that they really announced that are technically launch games is a platform game called Astro's Playroom, which will actually come preloaded on all PlayStation 5s. And the um, 
standalone expansion to Insomniac Spider-Man, which focuses on Miles Morales, and it's by far probably the the best-selling point that the PS5 has right now, because that's a fantastic character, and it was a really, <clears throat> really good game, if a little derivative of the Arkham series. So, uh, numerous highly anticipated games were shown throughout the event, but none of them had a release date. So, there's a new Ratchet and Clank coming, there's a, a sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn coming called Horizon Forbidden West, uh, but neither game had a release date. Uh, Microsoft is actually scheduled to hold an event revealing more details about its first-party games on the Xbox Series X uh, next month. Now, I've primarily played my third-party games on PC and on my Xbox One. I own a PlayStation 4, but really only for the exclusives. And so far, there are exactly three games that they've announced that I'm at least somewhat excited for. Spider-Man Miles Morales, Ratchet and & Clank, and Horizon Forbidden West. But only one of these games even has a release date. So, although the PlayStation 5 looks good as far as the content that it's going to deliver, I, I think it's not going to be a day one purchase for me based on this, because there's just not a lot coming out yet. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so my initial thoughts are the graphics that I've seen, the trailers, are just out of this world. Especially for me, my heart, you know... Uh, that Miles release trailer alone has me ready to, to make a purchase, but I have to be cautious, you know, because that's really the only thing. If I'm being completely honest, if you hit me with Veritas Serum, some Truth Serum, the only thing that I'm really excited about is the Miles game. I love that character so much, and he has a special place in my heart, but I don't want to make, you know, a you know, significant financial investment for one game. Um, I also noticed that you know the the game of chicken with with re no release date or price point being given um they're daring each other to make the first move um i'm not a big specs guy so all of those you know i i saw several side-by-side -side comparisons with a bunch of mumbo jumbo that doesn't really you know vibe with me i know that you know that i'm a bit of an oddball when it comes to the nerd community i have like a regular 32 inch tv i uh, I just want to play. Uh, I, I'm not worried about a whole lot of high-quality stuff. It looks pretty, then I'm happy. Um, price was a major motivator for me in purchasing an Xbox One. I took about seven years off uh, from gaming, you know, raising my kids and stuff. So, you know, kids are expensive, so I didn't have a lot of, you know, uh, free money to just throw at, at gaming. Um, so in the last two to three years, I've re I finally gotten back into gaming and I was sitting there and, you know, with like a side-by-side -side comparison between a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox One. Um, and I basically bought two Xbox units over the past few years for the same price it would have cost me for one PS4. PS4, when I looked a couple of years ago, it was like $400. And an Xbox One I got for like 217 and it came preloaded with, um, like five Mike, uh, five Minecraft games, which were great for my kids. Um, and it came with uh, like live subscription and all of that. And then, you know, PlayStation was almost twice as much. So that really kind of priced me out having the large family that I do. Um, and then, you know, recently here in the last couple of months, I, I purchased a second unit for, for myself. And then, you know, the kids have the first unit. So if I can get two units for the price of one, you know, like 
it's no contest. As much as I love Spider-Man, I've never played this Spider-Man PS4 game simply for that reason. And, you know, after my first initial reaction and my endorphins and testosterone and, you know, adrenaline calmed down after that Miles trailer, I'm really trying to be a rational consumer again. And I don't know that I can justify it. You know, we'll see what the price points say. I have a funny feeling, Chris, that you and I are going to have to have an episode where we talk a little bit about the console wars. Um, especially uh, next month once Xbox puts all their cards on the table as far as, you know, first-party stuff is concerned. Um, I, I play my Xbox more than my PlayStation 4, I'll, I'll freely admit that. Um, I, I like the ecosystem of the Xbox better. Game Pass, backwards compatibility... Uh, those kinds of things for a, a old gamer like myself matter a great deal. Being able to take the original Star Wars Battlefront from the original Xbox and being able to pop in the disc and be able to play that game looking good on a 4K TV, it's, you know, 60 frames a second is pretty incredible. And so um, with, with my respect and my love for, for the older console generations, backwards compatibility is a big selling point for me. Uh, as is Game Pass, which is a fantastic service. Um, so ultimately, it, it really all depends now, uh, really, on on Microsoft's presentation. The ball is in their court. If they can come out swinging with some good first party releases, that uh, they might win me over in this as far as day one purchases go. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's almost like, you know, an athletic competition where you let your opponent go first. You want to see what they have and then you have the last say or, you know, like a court of law. You want I, I want the last say when it comes to opening statements or closing statements. I, I want to talk last. So so Microsoft has, you know, a lot to to counter um, here. And for me, just as an Xbox user, um, I'm very happy with my purchases that I've made with them. Um, you mentioned Game Pass, and I've been using Game Pass for, for several months now, if not, may even have been a year by now. But for $5 extra over, you know, the gold subscription per month, you, you can't beat it. The access to, like, 200 games, I can... And the great thing is about the, the backwards compatibility that you mentioned is those seven years I took off from gaming, I can go and find those games for, like, next to nothing. They're either on Game Pass or they're, like, four ninety nine. Like, I, I went back and got um, Force Unleashed and Force Unleashed 2 for four ninety nine apiece. You can't beat that. I'm a... I'm a massive Assassin's Creed fan and they'll do they'll regularly do sales in the Microsoft store for like 70 to 80% off and I can get the entire Ezio collection for like 9.99. You you can't beat that. Um so it's I understand I've never been I've never been because we're nerds. I've never been like of the hive mentality where like listen, everyone is playing PlayStation. Like I most of my friends play PlayStation. Um, and I really just don't have any desire to because I'm so happy with, with my, my Xbox. So it's going to be a tall order for, for PlayStation to win me over after all these years. The last PlayStation unit I had was the PS one back in the late nineties, you know, some crash bandicoot. That was the last time I played a PlayStation, I think. And I, and I will say there was definitely one thing that they announced where they could have had me. Where if they if they would have said this game will release is a launch game will release alongside the PlayStation Five they probably would have had me, and that was the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, 
because Horizon Zero Dawn has kind of blown me away. Uh, I, I was a late comer to the game. It came out in 2017, and I just really uh, a few weeks ago started playing it, and it is it is a fantastic game, probably one of the best of this console generation. And if they would have come out and said, "Hey, this this sequel is gonna be uh, it's gonna be a launch title," I would I would have been sorely tempted uh, to to pull the trigger. Between that and, and Spider Man Miles Morales, you would have had two that one two punch of just you know you have to have this machine. But with so many games not having not having a release date for the for the PlayStation Five at this point, it, it's pretty clear there isn't a whole lot in the cards for launch. So uh, I'm gonna take a wait and see approach. I think right now. Definitely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up our nerd news segment for this week. When we come back, we have our first ever interview with Robert Pilk of Mountain Empire Comics. And welcome back to the Nerd by Word podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, Robert Pilk uh, of Mountain Empire Comics. Uh, Rob co-founded Mountain Empire Comics in late 1984. Uh, the original locations included Bristol, Virginia, Johnson City, Tennessee, and Kingsport, Tennessee. The Kingsport store closed several years ago, but the Bristol and Johnson City locations continue to thrive. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. We were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your stores and how you've weathered the COVID-19 outbreak. The store's been here. We, we're kind of an old-timer uh, in uh, comic book stores. We opened up in October of 84, Mountain Empire Comics, uh, in Bristol. And we have a, now have another store down in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, which is about 25 miles away. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, it has hit us, you know, like every other comic store in America. But we've kind of struggled through. We haven't been able to get any of the grants or anything. Um, but, uh, we're paying the rents, we're paying the bills and, uh, keeping the doors open. And, um, now we've got to deal with the, uh, distribution thing and that's another joy in life. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> that great timing on this. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to ask you about that as well. Um, so what factors give you the most hope for bouncing back sales-wise after reopening the store? Well, our, our customers, I, I mean, we haven't really lost uh, our customer base. We st- They're still coming in. They're still supporting us. They understand, you know, when I say, well, you know, the things are going to be a little different now. We've got to do this. We've got to do that, uh, you know, and uh, they're, they're fine with that. So I, it's the customers that are really helping us out. Are there any new strategies um, or any kind of new tactics that you're utilizing as you're reopen to try to drive uh, to bounce back? Is there anything new that you're trying? Well, I mean, we did the uh, we do the curb service thing if somebody wants it, but we don't have a whole lot of people asking for that. Mm-hmm. This area right here, uh, the the virus has not been as bad here as it has in other places. We have, we, I think, we've had one death in the. the this area so and uh, you know it's a pretty low amount of people who've actually caught the virus so it's not as bad here as it is in other places uh as far as we wipe everything down we wear the mask we do we try to do the social distancing and everything and uh as far as doing anything new uh, no not really we've had some sales and uh 
uh, we've offered some things, uh, you know, for for a lower price, but uh, mostly we're just doing what we've always done. What generally uh, generates more revenue for you during this time? Is it still comic book sales that are driving things? Or are you starting to see people gravitate more towards gaming or memorabilia sales? No, it's still the comics for us. But, I mean, we're, we've always been basically a comic book store. We have a few, you know, uh, we do some gaming, uh, but just but not very much. And uh, toys and things like that. But uh, about 90% of our sales are comics, and that's what we're focused on. Uh, it will help, I think, once we get uh, uh, back up to speed with, uh, you know, Marvel starts turning out a little more product and uh we start getting some stuff from, that's been over uh, late and overdue now but uh uh yeah that's that's what we're focused on is the comic books um and you referenced this earlier um in a answer to a previous question but now here it is what is your take on dc's recent split with diamond distribution i i was a little puzzled by it i don't see where there's any advantage to it, uh, well, I, I, there's there's really no advantage to us as a as a comic book store, and I don't really see what uh, how it's going to help DC that much. I guess they're hoping for higher sales or something, but I don't I don't see how a different distributors going to help them with that. Um, you know, we like I said, we've been here a long time, and we dealt with the uh, the the time that Marvel did this with Heroes World, and that was a disaster. So we're hoping that uh, it's not going to be quite as bad this time with the the new distributors. But I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why now, uh, of all times, uh, you know, they, they think this is a good time to do this. Seems to me this is the worst time possible to do it. Yeah, there's been some talk. Uh, we've both observed that online from some uh, big retailers saying that they don't really plan on stocking DC product anymore except for for people's pools lists. Do you have any plans on changing your strategy with DC because of this? Well, I think that would be cutting off our nose to spite our face to just say we're not going to have DC books. I'm probably not going to uh, promote them quite as hard as we, as we used to. But, uh, you know, we'll still carry the stuff. We'll still stock it. Uh, there's a very large amount of our customers are big DC fans, and... Uh, they don't care, you know, who the distributor is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's basically just a thing with us and dealing with it. But, but now I think we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and you know order what we've always been ordering. Now, have you um, have you opted for the extension that was agreed with with DC and Diamond, or are you going with UCS um, and Lunar outright now, or what's your current situation? Uh, right at this very moment, we're still getting stuff from uh, Diamond, uh, but uh, that changes at the first of the of the month. And uh, yeah, we've opened an account with uh, uh, with actually with both of them, but I don't think we're going to be ordering from Luna. We'll be ordering from the UCS. Uh, okay. Uh, for now. Now, one of our previous episodes, we talked a little bit on our podcast about how to improve comic book sales, how to get the word out to people that this product exists. Do you have any thoughts on what companies like Marvel, DC, and and the big uh, sellers could do to help drive up sales? 
Uh, you know, if I did, I'd be shouting it from the rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things that help us, I ain't, it's, the, you know, uh, we, we had to cancel free comic book day. That's always a big day for us, and it mm-hmm. always seems to pull in new people, yeah. uh, especially younger people. I, yeah, I do. With uh, I, I think if uh, you you know you you kind of focused on the younger readers, uh, we do a lot of. Uh, I have a whole section for for young kids at both of our stores, and you know that's when you get them when they're ten, eleven years old and they start reading comics. That's how you build up your your market. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to see DC and uh, and Marvel both kind of you know focus a little bit more. Maybe have a line of a. Uh, 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 more than they do, they, they 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 both do have some comics aimed at younger kids, and and that's great. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. We talked a little bit about the notion of having like a a Pixar all ages sort of approach, the the kind of comic books that adults and and kids could both enjoy on different levels. What's your take on something like that? Well, those uh, the Marvel Adventures line uh, does sell very well to. Uh, just a, a gen, the general public here. Uh, we're almost uh, like the Avengers. We sell as many of those as we do the regular Avenger titles. So, I, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. They've tried it in the past. I mean, they feel like at one time or another, they've tried about every sort of angle that you can <laughs> come up with. Uh, sometimes they, I don't think they stick with it long enough to see if it's going to succeed or not. Uh, so maybe you know you gotta you gotta be in it for the long term, and maybe that's what they need to do with the the younger reader comics. We also reference um, like like the culture of the '60s, and specifically we we talked about the the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Amazing Spider-Man issues about how those issues like still hold up to uh, to readers of all ages. Um, and it seems like, you know, um, as we go through the decades of comic books with cultural shifts in the 80s and 90s and to the 2000s with, like, darker tones and more mature content. Um, so is there, is there something like like a return to kind of like retro? I know retro is usually in, but is there, do you still, like, sell, I guess is my question, do you still sell large amounts of classic issues with more optimistic tones and, and things like that? We do, and uh, you know, I, of course, I'm I'm 67 now, so I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> I worry that I'm too old, and I'll sit around. Why are these kids today? They don't know. <laughs> you know, back in my day, we had real comic books. I, I try not to be that way, but uh, sometimes I think it uh, because I, you know, if a, a 10 or 11 year old comes in and says, "I love Batman," I said, "Well, I can't sell you any of the Batman." new batman comics <laughs> what about wonder woman nah not really <laughs> uh, what about the x-men i don't think so you probably wouldn't like those i, I, I steer them toward the old stuff yeah uh, and I, you know I, because that's those uh those things marvel are doing the uh uh true believers yeah we sell a ton of those and i feel ver- really good about it because like you say it's the ditko stanley ditko it's they're very uh family friendly mm-hmm. and and we you know we want to we strive to be a family friendly store so that's that's perfect for us now rob you're also responsible for a local convention in the area would you mind telling us a little bit about that and how it all got started oh okay yeah it's called the rob con uh named after me <laughs> uh <laughs> 
we've had it since we, we've had a, a convention of one kind or another uh, since we opened up in '84. Uh, but it's just gradually grown and gotten bigger. And uh, last year, uh, we had uh, close to 4,000 people come through. So oh, it's, wow. it's like a it's like a uh, a, a big small con, a very small big con. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but we, yeah, we've added the guests. We've got uh, yeah, through the years, we've got uh, a lot of things that we didn't used to do. But it's it's yeah, it's become like a cultural thing around here, and it really we had to cancel it this year. That really hurt. But uh, we got all the uh, all the guests and stuff said they were coming back next year, and uh, so we're already making plans. So is your hope right now that you will be able to hold the convention next year if things continue to improve or that's that's the plan. Uh we're we're already talking now we uh, talking to the uh the convention site and we've got our dates and everything so uh yeah we're already doing some work on next year. Hopefully there'll be a vaccine or things will I don't know if they'll ever be back to normal but uh be <laughs> Uh, what passes for normal nowadays. Now, as you've mentioned, Rob, you have been in this in this business for an awfully long time at this point. You have you have seen the ebb and flow, the highs and lows of the industry. Looking back over everything you've experienced and everything you've seen as a as a comic book fan and a comic book retailer, what is your wish for the future of the comic book industry? Gosh, uh, that's a, that's a good question. I'd like to see it continue. I worry about the. I don't. I don't know if the publishers of the the comics are as interested in them as uh, some of us uh, fans are. Maybe you know. I I can't see uh, you know superheroes always being the uh, the main focus of the comic books. Maybe branch out even more than they are now. And and I know that's happening and that's good. But uh, I'd like to see them branch out a little more and do more. Uh, Variations of comics. Uh, I'd like to see uh, a lot of like, like the younger kids uh, getting pulled into it, and uh, just just keep the thing going. Uh, I worry that uh, in my lifetime, the, the the comic book industry will dry up and be gone. I used to go to pulp cons where they sell the old pulp magazines like The Shadow and Doc Savage, and I mean, there all there were were really old guys. <laughs> And uh, older than me now, even. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'd look at that and think, well, maybe that may be turn out to be comics here in twenty years. It might just be no new stuff. Everybody just comes and looks at the old days and you know reminisces uh, with the old comics. And I don't want it to be like that. I always want to have a a, a fresh, vital uh, source of uh, new stuff coming out. So that I guess that would be my wish keep things going you know it's funny you mentioned uh, right at the beginning of, of your answer there that um, you you sometimes wonder if the people making the comic books care as much about them as as the fans do um, Chris and I have talked about before that uh, we, we sometimes wonder if these big corporate conglomerates now that that own DC and Marvel see them more as idea factories for their movies rather than an actual viable uh, industry Oh yeah, I'm sure they do. I, as I, some people, that's all they do. I read some interview with uh, one of the AT&T guys. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, 
And he was saying, why can't we just do reprint comics? Why do we have to do anything new? And I thought, I hope everybody doesn't feel like that. <laughs> but that thinking doesn't go all the way down the... And, but it worries me that, they, you know, if that's their, their mindset, you know, why would they why would they want to keep on doing new comics? So, yeah, I don't know. It's the... we. I worry about it, but uh, on the other hand, we, you just got to take it day by day, and we'll we'll see where it goes. Rob, we thank you for your time, and we really appreciate you. Are there any final thoughts or messages that you want to communicate with our audience? Uh, support your local comic book store. If you don't support your local comic book store, they, they won't be there to support you or something like that. <laughs> Stick with us to help us uh, help the, help the local guys. And uh, maybe we'll get through this okay. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Rob. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. That's it for our Big Talk this week. Here in just a moment, after a quick break, we'll be back with our weekly nerd commendations. All right, folks, welcome back to the Nerd by Word podcast. We are ready for some nerd commendations. Chris, what do you have for us this week? I am uh, recommending the current Miles Morales Spider-Man. He's been a hot topic of today's episode with the PS5 release, but his current book is just out of this world fantastic. He holds a special place in my heart already, and this just further... um, emboldens that place right there uh it's written by saladin ahmed who's a fantastic writer he had, he won an eisner for his black bolt uh book a couple of years ago and he doesn't pull any punches with this series um either most of the art is done by javier garron um with assists from alitha e martinez vanessa del rey ron atkins annie Wu, Zay carlos iguara kevin labronda ray anthony height belen ortega Corey smith uh carmen cornero uh, just joined uh, with the most recent issue um, and Patrick O'Keefe does a lot of the cover work and his cover for Miles Morales Spider-Man on number 8 if you are somewhere near a mobile device right now go look at the cover for Miles Morales Sp- uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man number 8 uh, cover done by Patrick O'Keefe it's like this silhouette of his face and then like the city skyline of New York City it's just breathtakingly just fantastic um, and then I really just have to say, like, the writing and the way that it um, modernizes the character and just returns to the heart. It captures the heart and essence of what it means to be Spider-Man and a young superhero. If you enjoyed 2017's Into the Spider-Verse and just how, like, adorably lovable um, Miles is, then you're going to love this title. It gives a beautiful and authentic upgrade to what life is like in Brooklyn in 2020. As much as I love Peter Parker, some of his stuff seems kind of dated. Um, a primarily Caucasian uh, cast of characters, with the exception of like Robbie Robertson, Philip Chang. Um, not a lot of diversity there. Um, it introduces fun new characters and cameos from some favorites. There's a great story with Rhino and Captain America right in there in the in the first arc. There's some interesting tie-ins from the Ultimate Universe. So if you're a big fan of um, the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, like I am, you're gonna you know uh, have some fan service for you there. And then uh, I'll reiterate, I appreciate the diversity of the creative team um, and having their voices be very present in the product. 
um, it really feels like you're going through a neighborhood in Brooklyn and you see like um, carnita shops or, you know, like um, it's just very diverse. It's bilingual in places. Um, don't worry, the Spanish isn't too advanced. So I promise if, if you have a, you know, a little handy dandy um, translator or dictionary, you're going to be fine. There's a lot of common phrases, but just like it just breeds authenticity. And as someone who just craves that cultural authenticity, it's very much uh, sated right here in this book. So I love it. That is some incredibly high praise, Chris. Uh, I will freely admit that I've been kind of a, a lapsed Miles Morales reader. I was uh, right there when uh, he first was created and uh, Brian Michael Bendis was writing the character. I adore Miles. I think he's a fantastic character. But th there were a couple things that happened where I became hesitant to read. And, and maybe you can tell me if this book sort of uh, addresses that. The first thing that, that worried me is that he seems to have been aged up a bit in the more recent books. I know when he first premiered, he was very young. And I thought that gave a very uh, interesting uh, perspective on, on being a superhero. The other thing is that he is now inhabiting the mainline Marvel Universe alongside Peter Parker, rather than being, you know, the one and only Spider-Man for his own Earth, his own universe. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, been kind of wondering how that works, because I really liked watching Miles sort of having to carve his own path without being able to go to Peter Parker and be like, hey, I need your help. Can, can you explain how you would do this? So based on your praise, I feel like I want to read this. Um, do, do you feel like my concerns are addressed with this book? Um, I, I do, and I echo those sentiments. Um, I tapered off in my reading of the Miles book, and this, this title really brought me back with the new creative team. Um, so many times in comics, when you have a new creative team come onto a book, it breathes new life into something. Um, and I was right there with you when, when Bendis and Pacelli created the character. Um, I, I felt like something was lost when they turned him into a 15 or 16 year old as opposed to being 12 or 13 as his, at his creation. Um, and then it was, I, I fully admit as much as I love this character, I fully admit that it was a very clunky transition into the 616 universe after post secret wars. Um, a lot of that really wasn't addressed in his mainline comic book. I fell off. I didn't read a lot of it while Bendis was still on the title. Um, but I picked it up when they kind of rebranded it in, in 2018 or 19, whenever this released. Uh, I think it was late 18, maybe early 19 was when this started. Um, we were about 16 issues in. It was delayed a little bit with the pandemic. Um, they just released, I believe it was issue 16 here recently. I, I want to say the 10th, uh, so a week ago today. But um, so, yeah, um, the thing that I do appreciate that you kind of referenced is Peter does Peter Parker does not appear... If, if memory serves, he doesn't appear in any of these issues to date. Um, he may talk about him like, oh, yeah, Peter this or, you know, the other Spider-Man or something. But this is very much Miles' own book. And I think that's a, uh, an intentional thing from Saladin and the, and the entire creative team is they want this to be Miles. And, that's, and I think that may even be why they led that in the title. This is Miles Morales, Spider-Man. And, it, and it's really just, you know, a beautiful... Uh, it's a very family-friendly book. It captures a lot of that heart and family um, with his parents um, and his uncle Aaron. 
So if you're if if you were touched by that in the film, which I felt like was one of the strengths of the of Into the Spider Verse, then you're absolutely definitely not going to be disappointed with this title. Well, that's good to hear. Then I'm definitely going to have the uh, go ahead and give this thing a read. Um, and I will say again, a lot of those issues are on uh, Marvel Unlimited. So um, if you want to like binge a lot of that, check out that service. Um, also, they they have a variety of trades. I know the first trade is available. It's called Straight Out of Brooklyn, um, so you can find that on on Amazon or at a local comic book shop. But uh, again, uh, definitely check that one out. Now, Dave, your nerd commendation was hinted at uh, last at the tail end of last episode, and it, it is quite a unique nerd commendation from what we've had so far. What you got? Yeah, I highly recommend for uh, fans of retro games that if you have an old Game Boy lying around, you need to upgrade that thing. I recently completed a restoration and upgrade of my Game Boy, and I highly recommend it to people who love the system as much as I do. This was my first video game console. I have mad love for the Game Boy. And so uh, I dug it out of my basement a few weeks ago and decided I wanted to play it, and it was not in great shape. Uh, The screen had some what we like to call screen rot. Uh, there were dead areas on the screen. Uh, my formerly white-gray Game Boy had turned this uh, odd yellow color. And so I decided to do my homework uh, and figure out what I can do to uh, preserve my Game Boy for the future. My first step was to take it apart and clean it, which was shockingly easy. There's just really two things you need to know. Number one, you'll need a tri-wing screwdriver to open the system. They're fairly cheap online, but they are specialized enough screwdrivers that you probably can't find one just in any store. Second, there's a video cable, uh, a ribbon, that connects the two halves of the Game Boy. So once you have the screws out, you can't just yank the two halves apart. You have to gently disconnect that first. Uh, And the rest of the disassembly is very easy. Once you've got it down, to the bare plastic, if your Game Boy is yellowed, you you need to figure out how to restore that. And there is uh, a sort of trick that you can use. There's a hair care product, believe it or not, called Cream Peroxide Developer. And this stuff has 12% hydrogen peroxide in it. Highly recommend that you use gloves if you're going to use this stuff. It can leave some burns on your skin. But basically, uh, I smeared that uh, stuff all over my Game Boy, and put it out in the sun to let the UV light activate it. And after several hours, uh, the plastic of the Game Boy was pristine again. Uh, The yellowing was completely gone. It's incredible what you can do with hair care products uh, when you use it off-label. There are also several online retailers who sell aftermarket replacement parts. I used a retailer called handheldlegend.com and ordered some replacement buttons and a new screen cover something also called a lens. Uh, Mine was plastic and extremely scratched. The new one I bought is glass. The most important change I made, though, was to install a new screen because I did have screen rot. But instead of installing the same kind of screen that was in it, I actually put in an LCD screen. I used a screen called the DMG RIPS LCD version 3, which comes not just with the screen, but also with a new front PCB. It was shockingly easy to install. The most difficult part was that I had to teach myself how to solder two wires uh, to the actual PCB. Uh, But 
a quick look on YouTube on how to solder and that problem was solved. It wasn't very difficult. It was just two speaker wires that have to be attached to the new PCB. Once I put it all back together, as of this week, I have a game board that looks brand new and plays better than factory new because the new screen uh, is backlit. And instead of creating four shades of really strange green colors, it is now a true black and white system. It runs perfectly, and after 30 years with the same Game Boy, I feel like I finally prepared it for another few decades ahead. That's just incredible to hear. Now, Dave, what type of cost are we looking at here, both in terms of cash and labor, like hours spent and uh, and, and all of the like? Well, disassembly um, and actual labor didn't take uh, very long. I would say maybe an hour or two over the course of several days. There, there's a lot of waiting involved, especially if you have to um, try to restore the plastic, get that yellowing off. I uh, remember actually thinking about it that I had the plastic sitting out in the sun for like five hours. So this is sort of a uh, leave it out there for a while and do something else. Uh, cost was shockingly cheap too. Buttons, the lens, all those things are fairly cheap, just a few dollars. The most uh, expensive part of this process by far was the actual new screen and front PCB. And I think I spent around $60 on that. Um, so not horribly expensive, but the smaller things, if you don't want to actually go the route of putting a whole new screen in, you know, a, a few broken buttons that you want to replace and the actual process of uh, restoring the plastic, I think you can probably get by with $20 or so and very easily do a decent restoration on your system. That's fantastic. Now, you mentioned YouTube, but are there, are there any other sources of information and or tutorials that you utilize that uh, our audience should know about? Well, the good news is that Handheld Legend, uh, the people that actually sold the uh, parts to me, uh, for each part on the product page, they have a whole bunch of pictures attached that shows how you actually uh, put stuff together. So, uh, you can look up all sorts of tutorials using Google, but uh, the ones that I got directly from the retailer were extremely useful because it was just a series of pictures that showed in detail where everything was supposed to go. All right, that's fantastic. And that wraps up our nerd commendations for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us for episode four of the Nerd by Word podcast. Keep your eyes peeled uh, to your podcast feeds every Monday morning. Uh, you'll be graced with another episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the TuneIn app, or on our website at nerdbyword.com. You can find myself and Dave on Twitter individually at thatnerdchris or thatnerddave. Um, or you can find us on our uh, podcast page on Twitter, Instagram, at, uh, at, at nerdbyword. Uh, we also have a Facebook page called at the nerd by word for some reason at nerd by word was not available so if you're on facebook you have to add a the there um or you can just uh, do a facebook search for the nerd by word podcast and we appreciate all of your support we look forward to bringing you another episode next week thank you so much for tuning in stay well and stay nerdy the Nerd By Word is produced by two nerds, Chris and Dave, to encompass all aspects of the nerd multiverse. The theme music was written by Al Jimenez. Our show art features original art by Ashby Design, as well as public domain comic panels. Find us online at nerdbyword.com, on Twitter at nerdbyword, and send questions and comments to nerdbyword at gmail.com. <laughs>